That's what my favorite pastor says. <laughs> Guy online. Anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> A little laugh starting off. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Kevin. I'm one of the elders here in this church. It's my uh, special calling and privilege to serve you guys uh, as a shepherd. And um, Rory is the senior pastor, normally the teaching pastor, and he's gone on vacation. And uh, our other elders are all gone, um, not permanently. But Chad's over in Lapine. Uh, he's teaching over there, and Aaron is down in South America. So... Uh, that left me here to get to speak, and uh, got to speak actually a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, <clears throat> Rory gives us the, the opportunity to, to speak on whatever we want. So if we want to continue on with where he's at as we're going through the book, uh, uh, whatever book it happens to be, we're going through First Corinthians right now, he says just plow away in that if you like, or whatever the Lord's putting on your heart. And as a couple of weeks ago, I shared that uh, in Lapine, we're going through the book of Acts. And it's just been awesome to be able to get the privilege to teach over there once a month and to be able to go through the book of Acts. And so I was just super excited by what the Lord showed me in, in Acts chapter 18. I just really wanted to, to bring that here to our church. And so that's why I, I taught what I taught a couple of weeks ago on the, on the Holy Spirit and on the Holy Spirit specifically making uh, disciples, the plan of God that way. And <clears throat> that same week, Chad was over. Uh, going to Lapine, and, and uh, Blaine went with them, and they had a great time over there uh, ministering to the people in Lapine. And, and Chad and I were talking the Saturday before we both were to teach about chapters 18 and 19, and just saw a real fluid flow through it that, that was really cool. And so I, I was really excited to teach 18, but it's like, oh man, uh, chapter 19 as well is just awesome, and it's part of the same story, and really. All the book of the Acts of Acts is the same story, and just the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, I'm so jealous, Chad. You got to teach this. That's like, that's awesome, you know. And it's just sitting there thinking, Lord, uh, maybe maybe we could, you know, just ask to to have two weeks in a row or something of this. And it's like, ah, oh, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna put me forward like that. And it's like that that's just, but it's His Word, right? It's His Word. And I was like, oh, maybe Rory could. Now that'll just seem confusing. And well, it just so happened, like I said, that Rory said, hey, I need somebody to teach on the thirtieth. Uh, just right after that, and and um, usually we go through a rotation, you know, and, and so whoever, you know, uh, hasn't taught, you know, gets to come up and teach, but like I said, everybody else is gone, and so that, you know, left me to be able to teach, and so I just felt super excited that the Lord had this plan for us, actually, um, because his word, <clears throat> and not that uh, 1 Corinthians isn't as good as Acts, uh, certainly not, but that maybe we had a little bit of unfinished business in Acts chapter, um, out of Acts chapter 18, um, so with that, uh, I'm going to pray, and you can open up your uh, Bibles to, to Acts chapter 18. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to go to 19 this week. We won't teach the same thing. <clears throat> open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 19. And as you're doing that, I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, just thank you, Lord, for this uh, great privilege to, to be here, Lord, to present your word and your truth with what you want to say to your people at this time, God. And Lord, you know, I've just been so excited to be able to, to, to be able to bring this word, to be able to bring this message, Lord. And I'm just su almost surprised at the anxiety that I have right now, the nervousness, Lord. It's, it's just the powerful message that this is, Lord. I just, I guess I just don't want to blow this. I don't want to get it wrong, Lord. I want to say what you want to say. And so, how appropriate, Lord, is we're looking at the Spirit, that we would plead with the Spirit, that we plead with you, God, 
to enter into a, a, a very uneducated, fouled man to be able to present to us the, the truth of your word. God, I'm amazed that you would use mankind. Just blows my mind that you, you would use mankind. And we see Paul even teaching that, Lord, that we just use the foolish things of the world to say what you want to say. God, that's so awesome. It's so crazy. Seems like a reckless plan, a careless plan almost, Lord, to us that this word, Lord, that we could just mess this up. And Lord, but I know today that you've got your word. Your word is perfect. Your spirit is perfect. Your spirit is alive and your spirit is well and active and he's working and he's here today and he will speak to us and he will allow us to listen. So Lord, I just pray that you would do your work. God, you would do your work. Holy Spirit, you would speak and you would allow us to hear what you have to say. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Before we get going, is there anybody that needs a Bible? We've got some extra Bibles in the back. We'd love to have you be able to follow along. Uh, Adam, we want to grab a couple. Acts chapter 19. But before we get into 19, let me just kind of introduce a little bit about where we're at. A couple weeks ago, we, we spoke of uh, what, the, what was happening in, in Acts chapter 18 and really in all of the book of Acts. And, and to get a better understanding, if you guys weren't here a couple weeks ago, I'd invite you to listen to that message. It's online, okay? And I don't remember what it's uh, titled, but something about the Holy Spirit. It, and it'll have the book of Acts, in, uh, chapter of Acts in there as well. And that'll give you a better understanding about what we're going to be talking about today. But if you missed it, don't worry. This isn't like a, a necessarily like a part two. This, this in itself will uh, bring clarity, I believe. The last time we spoke about uh, what the plan of God is. Okay, the plan of God is in Ephesians 1.8, I think, I think succinctly says it. Uh, making known to us that God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So his plan which he set forth in Christ. So here's the plan that he has in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, for, for, the, for all of eternity. So not just today, not just tomorrow, not then, for the fullness of time, for all time. So the plan in Jesus for all time is this, to unite all things in him, things on heaven, or things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, so this is the plan of God. And we talked about, well, how do we do this? How is this going to happen? How is God going to unite all things together to him? How is God going to make a people? How is God going to save a people? And then we went over Matthew chapter 28. It's very familiar uh, to most of you. Verses 18 through 20. That Jesus says that we are going to make disciples of all nations. This is how this plan of God is going to happen. This is how it's going to take effect. This is the methodology that God has chosen to use to make this plan happen, of, of uniting all things to him, of bringing a people, making a people, saving a people to him. Well, how do we make disciples? We get to Acts 1.8. The book that we're in, and it's the introduction of the Holy Spirit into man. It's the introduction of God into mankind. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, why don't we just turn there real quick? Jesus unveils 
to the disciples his plan of the how. How is this going to get to all nations? How is this going to spread to all people? How are we going to be saved? How are we going to become disciples? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the answer to the how is that we will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we will achieve the plan of God. So that's what the book of Acts is about. It's just simply the introduction of God inside of a man. The introduction to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a man. It's the introduction to the plan of God. Because right before the book of Acts, Jesus leaves this planet. His ministry walking here on this earth is over. It's finished. And he actually tells his disciples, it's going to be better that I leave so that I can bring the helper so that he can be inside of you. And you and the helper, with the helper in you, you're going to accomplish what I have set out to start. See, Jesus had a very succinct, distinct plan in the big picture. He's a part of it all. All the Godhead is a part of all of it. But the work of Jesus Christ primarily was for the salvation of the saints. Now the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. And not that the Holy Spirit hasn't existed before, not that Jesus isn't on the scene. Jesus actually says in, at the end of that passage in Matthew 28 that I will be with you to the end of the age. But we see that the power of the Holy Spirit inside of a man, inside of a woman, is going to take this message to the ends of the earth. So in Acts, we, we look at Acts with expectations, right? We look at Acts with expectations of seeing, since the Holy Spirit's now here and he's indwelling inside of man, we have expectations to see something different in man, right? To see man moving forward, to see the Holy Spirit moving forward. We have an expectation to see this message being taken to the ends of the earth and people being saved by this message and disciples being made, right? This is what we, we want to be able to see this happen. Or God's plan somehow wouldn't work. Or it would fail. This is the avenue that God has chosen. Okay, so that's what we talked about in Acts chapter 18. We saw disciple making being that methodology. Disciples making disciples. And a disciple was just simply a follower of Jesus Christ. So a follower, an imitator of Jesus Christ, is going to make other imitators and followers of Jesus Christ that make other imitators and followers of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what we have in the book of Acts, we have a whole bunch of little stories about this taking place. We see all kinds of different dudes in here and ladies in here that are getting saved, that are proclaiming the name of Jesus, all kinds of awesome things that we see happening with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of people. And in Acts chapter 18, we saw Paul um, meeting up with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, other tent makers, and they're disciples of his, and then we see Apollos, and he's a disciple of John the Baptist, and they're talking and, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
And they're going from place to place, and people are being saved. And so we see this plan working out. And that brings us into our passage here in Acts chapter 19. Let me read it to you. Acts 19, 1 through 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so we just see more movement, people going to and from different places, different cities, more proclaiming of Jesus. And we see here right away is that Paul, let me back up actually just a little bit into 18. So what happens in 18, Paul goes to Ephesus, okay, and he's got Priscilla and Aquila with him. They're disciples of his. He goes into Ephesus, he goes down to the synagogues, and he starts preaching. He doesn't stay there long, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there, okay, And then he goes back, and he goes back to his home church, goes back to Jerusalem, goes back down to Antioch, and he says to the people in Ephesus, I'll come back, Lord willing, I'll be back, I'll see you guys again. Okay, and then further on down in the chapter, we see that Apollos comes, okay? Apollos comes to Ephesus, and he's preaching, he's proclaiming God. But there was a hole in his theology, there was a hole in his understanding, and Priscilla and Aquila corrected him, more accurately in the way. So he was teaching in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila were in Ephesus. And then they, they end up at the rest of the chapter, finishes out that uh, they went to Achaia. And so they were just continuing to spread. So now we're back here. We're coming back here. While Paulos now is up in Corinth, Paul comes back and he's in Ephesus again. Okay? So we see that in verse 1, that he came back to Ephesus. And it says there that he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, so one of the things that we need to do right away, and I spent a lot of time, I did a lot of research, I did a lot of study, I did a lot of praying. And there's a lot of scholars, um, not a lot, but there's scholars who disagree a little bit on this point. Now, this doesn't change the whole dynamics of Christianity, but it does change the point of the passage. I believe that these guys are saved, okay? Now, obviously, this isn't totally huge to the crux of it, or Jesus would have explained it more thoroughly. But I really believe that these guys are saved, and I'll tell you why. And I think as we go along that you'll see why. So these guys here, these these guys are called disciples, okay? And this is the author of, of the book is Luke. And, and Luke pretty much always calls people that believe in Jesus, people that are saved, they are disciples, they're followers. Okay, sometimes in John we see the word disciples thrown out. 
uh, not thrown out, but, the, but put out there, and then they end up leaving God. They end up fall, you know, falling away. But disciples, spoken here by Luke, has a connotation of people being saved, okay? Paul also says, Paul says this to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, and so if these guys aren't saved, but they're believers, that's confusing. Right back in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas go into the jail, they get beaten, and the jailer ends up getting saved. And he asks Paul and Silas, he says, how do I get saved? How can I be saved? And Paul says one thing, believe in the name of Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So Paul himself is saying, this is the means to salvation, believing in him. Okay, and we're going to do a little bit more work a little bit later that's going to unfold on its own naturally. For the point of the story, the point that I think that, that God is making in this is these guys are believers, these guys are saved. So then that brings us to the question. Why does Paul ask this question? What's this question about? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why would Paul ask that question? What does he mean by that? Well, is, does Paul not know? Does he not get, like we've been taught, like the Bible teaches, does he not get that at salvation all believers get the Holy Spirit? All believers have the Holy Spirit? Does he not understand that? Maybe he just doesn't understand that. That's probably not the case since it was Paul himself that explained that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So Paul knows that. Paul understands that. So again, why the question? What's Paul getting at? The question is going to be uncovered a little bit later, a little bit further down here. Why the question? And before we can answer it, we need to look at the next question. So go down to verse 3. So these guys said, we don't even know that there is a spirit. In verse 3, and Paul says, into then what were you baptized? So you haven't received the Holy Spirit. What were you baptized into? They said, well, we're baptized into John's baptism. Okay, so what is John's baptism? So here these guys are confused. What's John's baptism? Okay, let's first start back in Acts 1.5. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want. I'm just going to read it real quick. Acts 1.5, this is Jesus saying when he's starting out, the beginning, explaining to them about what's going to happen, what's going to take place. He says to these guys, says to the disciples, all the people, he says this, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus himself brings a differentiation between John's baptism and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So is John's baptism wrong? What's the problem with John's baptism? Well, what is John's baptism? Let's go back. We're going to do a little bit of flipping here. We'll do it real quick. John 1, 19 to 33. If you want to turn there, we've got a lot of work to do, so I'm not going to wait for people to turn, but if you want to turn and catch up, feel free. John 19 
through 33. And I think it's important to read all this real quick so you can hear the correctness of the theology of the understanding. 19 says this, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's what John answered. I said, I am the one of the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John says this, I answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So he says, I'm baptizing with water. I baptize with water. And there's, but there's one coming after me. Let's skip down to verse 33. It says, I myself, this is John. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you will see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, so John, we see here that he correctly ascribes the baptism of the Holy Spirit to Jesus, and he said, I'm just baptizing with water, but there's coming one after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this guy is the son of God. If we flip over in my book, one page, uh, verse 36 of chapter 3, this is what he says about this son of God. Whoever believes in the son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, so John understands. John gets it. That it's Jesus Christ who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. But what John's message is, is it's baptism of water. And I wish I had a lot of time to unpack this a little bit more and go through all the scripture. But the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance. And that's spoken of actually in chapter 19. Back in verse 4 and 19 it says, And Paul said, John Pat." baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. The water baptism that John baptizes with is significant. It's significant, but it's not salvation. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's symbolic that you have been saved. It symbolizes that the old person is dead. I've been raised up new in Jesus Christ. So you are baptized into something. That's what baptizing means. Baptized into something. People say, well, he's just got baptized into politics. Or he just got baptized into the game. He comes out there and, 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 and a whole bunch of people, you know, uh, you know, like a, a new guy that was a, a star running back comes out there and just gets hammered in the pro game. He just got baptized in the professional business here in the NFL. So you're baptized into something. So the declaration here that John is making 
is repent, believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And the water baptism is symbolic of that. That's what John's baptism is about. You will be saved. Jesus Christ does that. So why then is Jesus going, well, but John said this. Why is Paul going, well, or these guys, why are they not understanding? What's the picture? What's the problem with the picture? That all sounds right, right? I mean, John the Baptist is a stud. Jesus said there's no one better, born better than, of, of men and women than John the Baptist. So what's the problem? Well, if we go back to verse 5 of chapter 1, in Acts, Jesus says, John baptized you with water, but, I'm going, you, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This isn't a bad baptism, This doesn't speak of a bad baptism, of a wrong baptism that John's doing. No, this is what Jesus sent him to be, the forerunner of Christ, the one who was to come. This is necessary. It's good. It's important. It's salvation. It's proclamation that Jesus Christ is the king. He's your hero. He saves you. What's the problem then? It's not the entirety of of the gospel. And that's what this passage is about. That's the problem that we see in this passage. It's not the entirety to the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news of Jesus Christ. Now hear me. Important that you hear me. It's the entirety to salvation. Absolutely. Finished. Jesus Christ does it. It's the entirety to salvation, but it's not the entirety to the Christian life. We're going to unpack that a little bit later. See, Paul is declaring that you must be baptized with the Spirit of God. That the complete Christian is baptized with the repentance baptism of John and the Holy Spirit. That's the complete picture of the Christian. That's the complete picture of the gospel. See, so John, I mean, so Paul, excuse me, asks this question to these guys. He asks these questions to these guys for a specific reason. See, Paul, if we go back to Paul's salvation... Paul was knocked off his donkey. He was blinded. He was left on the ground. And he heard from God. He heard from Jesus. He says, why are you persecuting me? He's like, what is going on? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Paul was going around killing Christians. Killing people who believed in Jesus. Jesus said, not anymore. You're going to go. You're going to sit there in the city of Damascus for three days. No food, no water. And what he was doing, what we're told, he was praying. Paul was praying. He was fearful. He was afraid. He was scared. He didn't know this guy, but he knew he had authority. He knew he had power. And then a guy, Ananias, comes to him. And he says, you're going to be working for God now, basically. And he baptizes Paul with the Holy Spirit. See, so Paul understood that Christianity, that Christian living, isn't just simply 
getting out of hell. It's not just simply getting Jesus. That is amazing. That is the climax of it, that we get Jesus. The story, though, doesn't end with you. It continues to go beyond you. That's why we proclaim Jesus Christ. And so when Paul comes to anybody, probably, that declares a belief in Jesus Christ, what does Paul have expectations of? That they're going to be proclaiming Jesus Christ, right? Because this is what happens inside a person that's hit with a spirit of God, and all of us have the spirit of God. Paul has expectations when he comes to Ephesus and he sees these guys that are worshiping God, that are following God. But he doesn't see, obviously, the outward sign of that. What he sees, he calls them believers. Believers are what? Believers are, one, are, are those who believe in Jesus Christ who understand who Jesus Christ is and what he does. And John's baptism, which these guys knew very well, listen, was a baptism of repentance. So they understood, I don't live for me anymore. I live for the kingdom of God. I worship him. I thank him. I repent of who I was and what I did. So these guys, being in the baptism of John, were Christians that were marked by their repentance. Very good. Very important. Not wrong. Paul's not mad here. God's not mad here. Paul just says, that's awesome. That's great. But you're incomplete without the Holy Spirit. You guys, most of us understand the Christian... It's not fair. A lot of us understand the the Christian life to be repent and, and, and believe. That is, like I said, the totality of salvation. Can't add to that. Don't want to add to that. Thank God that we don't have to add to that. That's Jesus Christ and his work. But what we see the Bible saying is just that. It's just, this is simply just repentance. And then we get better. God sanctifies us. And so the Christian life is just about me getting, kind of getting better. And it's, I'm, I'm marked by the things that I don't do anymore. That's repentance. So I'm marked by what I don't take part in. I don't take part in this sin and this sin, that sin. I thank God for what he's done for me. Those aren't bad things. That's all good. We should be marked by those things. But what Paul here is saying, what Paul recognizes in these guys, what you need to hear, what we need to see in this, what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is out to do, we are to be marked by what we do as Christians. We're to be marked by what we do as believers. We are to be marked by what we do as disciples. Not what we just don't do. Yeah, we repent. But see, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of a person proclaims Jesus Christ to the world, makes disciples. This is how this message continues. This is how this message keeps going. This is the plan for you who are believers, all of you who are believers. Sometimes we wonder, why am I so dry? Why do I feel empty? I have the belief down. I mean, I I totally believe in Jesus Christ. 
And I know you do. And so does he. And you are saved. Why so dry? Why so empty? Why so lonely at times? Why do I feel like I don't have a purpose? Maybe it's because you're like these guys. And you have the spirit in you with no power. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're taught, we're told, taught, we understand that we can quench the Holy Spirit in us as believers. In Galatians, we're taught that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we can render the Holy Spirit in our life ineffective as believers. We get stuck in a difficult place as believers. We don't enjoy the things of the world like the world enjoys the things of the world. We know that the things of the world aren't going to do it for me. This success, that job, this husband, this wife, this paycheck, this house, this car, this health, this... We understand, right? We get that, that those things aren't going to do it for us. Those aren't what we're pursuing. And we have inside of us an understanding and a a total belief in Jesus Christ and his salvation. Why the emptiness? Why the brokenness? Why the difficulty? Well, maybe it's because the spirit is not being powerful in your life because you've quenched the spirit of God because you want to do a different plan of Christianity than what's laid out for us in the Bible. He is called our helper. He is called our comforter, talking about the Holy Spirit, our guide. He is called many things. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us understanding. But he does not give you your idols. What do you mean? God's got a plan. And the Holy Spirit wants to invade your life and bring power to your life. Wants to bring you joy. Wants to bring you peace. All of these things. But he will not shift away from the plan of God. And John says that the Holy Spirit goes out not underneath his own authority, but the authority of the Father. And, and the Holy Spirit, being, the, being the, the Godhead, knows, has a plan. He says, I will be exalted. And I will come alongside you. And I will be with you when you, Christian, follow me. Follow my plan. You see, all these passages, I wish we had time to look at all of them. I've done it. I've, I mean, I've done it a lot when I taught actually in Acts chapter 2 about uh, looking in the passages where it talks about God being our comfort and our help. They all have a connotation of when you're proclaiming Jesus Christ as king, when you're being persecuted for Christ, when you're following God, when you are doing the plan of God. See, if you want to come over here and do your own plan, the Holy Spirit, he's not going to go there with you. He's not going to serve you and your idols and your kingdom. He's not going to go your way and do your plan. I've got a plan, he said. I'll bring you joy when you want to follow my plan. So we don't ask the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and follow our plan. We need to give up our plan and follow his. 
And the plan of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim Jesus Christ in all nations. The plan of the Holy Spirit of God is to make disciples of all nations. The plan of the Holy Spirit of God is to preach Jesus, to live Jesus, to say Jesus in everything that you do and say. There's no other plan. And there's no other way that you're going to receive comfort from him. No other way that you're going to receive peace from him. No other way that you're going to receive joy from him. You know what would be discouraging? You know what would really be discouraging and completely confusing? If you did your own plan and God brought you peace and joy and comfort. Because your plan, my plan, often is the easy way or the self-centered way. And I just keep right on going in that direction. God wants me to make much of him in his plan, his way. So we feel empty when we're not a part of his plan, don't we? Getting better is not on us. Romans chapter 8 talks about God justifying, that's saving us. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. That's being made into the image of God. And he glorifies us. That's a salvation. God says, that's my work. I do that. Hebrews chapter 12, what the men's group just went over, a few verses in chapter 12 says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wrote it. He writes it out. He finishes the story. He does this. So we're not about here to get better. We're not trying to get better. This isn't the plan of us. We're not trying to become a disciple, to become something. We're here to proclaim something. That something is Jesus Christ. We point to the one who is better. You see, if we don't understand this idea that that the Holy Spirit is to invade our life for the proclamation of the gospel, then you know what the Bible looks like? If we think salvation ends with me, if we think it's just about me getting better, all this looks like impossible rules to achieve. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. This is what I, why, why do we become disciples? Why do we die to self? Are you kidding me? If, if, if this just ends with us, if this just ends with me getting saved, and that's all my thought that I have, why would I suffer? Why, why would I die to self? It doesn't make any sense. Why, why would I go through the things that I go through? Why would you take me through these things? None of that makes sense. It blows my mind. In Christian, when we go through difficulties, even when we're following him, even when we're being obedient to him, and it confuses us, why God are you doing this? I mean, God, I I teach Sunday school. I'm part of 242. Man, I I, I made the dinner for my wife every night this month. Read my Bible. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all these things. God, what are you doing? Do you see how suffering and pain, they don't make any sense when you think that God's just trying to make something of you? Because you're the center of attention. You're the center of the universe at that point. God came to save you from that. 
God came to save you from that. It's, it's, it's difficult because we think that, oftentimes we think that, that doing these things is going to bring about a certain kind of expectation. It's going to bring about a certain kind of blessing, and it does. Being obedient to God does bring about blessing. But maybe not in the form which you understand blessing to be. Some of God's greatest blessings are when he took something from you, right? Something that you wanted, someone that you wanted. So suffering and intentional suffering. I'm just talking about suffering that comes our way, but what about intentional suffering? Dying to self. Sacrificing self for the sake of others. Sacrificing self for the sake of the gospel. None of that makes sense if it's not, if we don't get and are excited about the bigger picture of life. You guys, God saved us. And that's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful picture. And we want to think about that. And we want to meditate on that. We want to be overwhelmed by that. We want to be brought to our knees by that. We want to be consumed with that. We want to think about that all the time. Not less and what I got to do more. But the more I think about that, it should drive me to want to tell others about what I get for free. It's good news, but it's not good news if you don't tell anybody. It's not good news if it stops on you. So, John 14, 12, this can be a confusing passage, says this, truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? (laughs) He will do the works that I do and greater works will he do. So what works happen in the book of Acts? If you know the book of Acts or if you don't know, I'll tell you. So Jesus, actually back up a little bit, Jesus is healing people, is saving people. Uh, he's, he's raising people from the dead. People are just touching his garment. They're being healed. Blind men are able to see. Lame men are able to walk. He's doing all these miraculous things that people are seeing. Feeding 5,000 people with a few items of food. Walking on water. All kinds of crazy, miraculous signs. And Jesus says, you will do the things that I do, but greater works than these will you do. Talking to his disciples. And the key to that is understanding why or how. And it says, because I'm going to the Father. So what he's saying is, you're going to be hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you will do greater works than what I've done. If you look at the book of Acts, with the power of the Holy Spirit in man, what are the greater works that he's speaking about? We don't see a whole bunch of miraculous things. 
We don't see a whole bunch of people being healed of things. But 59 times in the book of Acts, it speaks of the greater works being done. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen when you get hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my plan. You're going to make disciples that make disciples that proclaim my name. This is how it's going to get to the ends of the earth. And 59 times we see in the book of Acts people being saved, people being added, the word of God being spread, being reached, being taken into far places. And these are the greater works. This is what we are saved for, these greater works. My notes here. So just looking at a few of these just real quick. Acts 1, 41. So those who received his word were baptized there, and about 3,000 that day were added. 147. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. 6-1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, 6-7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 8-4. Now those who were scattered went about about preaching the word. 8.25 Now when they had testified and spoken to the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many of the villages and Samaritans. 16.5 So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. 1634, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. 1712, many of them therefore believed. And on and on and on and on, 59 times it speaks of that in the book of Acts. These are the greater works that we will do with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. You see why Paul would ask the question? You see why he would ask the question if he sees somebody who believes in the Lord, loves what the Lord has done, repents, and and, and is now defining their lives by the things that I don't take part in anymore. You see why Paul, knowing the advancement of the gospel and how it takes place, you see why Paul would ask that question? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received him? Have you received him? Because he's going to light you up. You will proclaim God everywhere. This is what you will do. And so back to our chapter in 19, verses 5 and 6. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lost my place as I looked at the clock. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. So upon hearing this, upon recognition of this, upon understanding this, that they they now receive the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just about me. This isn't just about me getting saved. But it's about me being filled with the Spirit, proclaiming God to the world. 
what happens? We see that that happens. The Spirit of God comes on them, and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, don't get confused and think that's the method that the, the Holy Spirit wants to use, or this is the only way, or this is how we know. Some have made that mistake before. It's simply just meaning this, that we speak what God says. We speak, we prophesy, we speak what God says. We talk about, we proclaim Christ. Verse 8, let's go verse 7. There was about 12 men of them in all. Verse 8 says, And he entered the synagogue three months and spoke boldly. Okay, so what does this look like, this proclamation of God? What does this look like? Well, right here we see that Paul spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. That's got a lot of meat in that sentence. This isn't just he was talking about God and he continues. A lot of meat here, and it says this. The proclamation of God is this, that it takes a boldness to speak, and you're reasoning with them in the scriptures. We see what reasoning is. Paul, um, in chapter 18, in verse 5, says, it, it speaks clearly what Paul's doing. It says he's testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. We see up here in verse 28 of chapter 18 that Apollos also it says he was powerfully refuting the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So this is what it means to proclaim God, that you say who Jesus is. You say who he says he is. This is what it means. Why does it take a boldness? Do you know what Jesus said? Do you know what Jesus said? Do you know who he claims to be? In the Bible, Jesus flips everybody out by claiming to be God, by claiming all the authority that he has. Matthew 4, verse 17. This is what it means to proclaim God. Jesus gets on the, uh, comes on the scene and he says, First thing recorded in Matthew, after being filled with the Spirit of God, first thing he says is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you tell somebody repent, what have you told them? Don't do that. Don't live like that. Who can say that to you? One with authority. One with authority. One speaking of authority. Kingdom of God. So he first comes on the scene, and he doesn't say, I want to fix you, I want to help you, I want to save you. He says, you need to repent. You're living a lie. You're not God. There is a God here. The kingdom of God is here. A different reign and a different rule that you ever knew. Matthew 7. All we're taking a look at is the authority that Jesus claims to have and how he presents himself in the scripture. Verse 7, 28 and 29. The longest teaching in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is its conclusion. These are all the things in here that Jesus told them. And he told them, and here was their response. In in verse 28 it says, And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them with one who had authority, not as their scribes. 
Matthew 5, 13. No. Not sure what that is. On and on and on we could go to ultimately at the conclusion, at the end of his time on the planet, at the end of his time on the earth, walking as a man, Jesus gives a very bold statement. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Have you ever thought about what that encompasses? There's no other ruler. There's no other one who can speak at this moment. Nobody else can say what he says. Nobody else has got authority or power over him. I am all authority, Jesus says. And he proclaims this all the way through his ministry. And this is when he says, go and make disciples. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So this is our call. And what we tell people when we proclaim Jesus Christ is we tell them the authority that Jesus Christ says that he is. When Jesus sends out his disciples, you know what he tells them to say? You go tell them that the kingdom of God is here. This is authority. This is why Jesus was killed. Jesus was killed because he claimed to have authority. He claimed to be the only way to life. I'm the only way. Nobody can come to the Father but by me. Jesus rules over death. He rules over life. He rules over everything. This is who Jesus is. Jesus didn't simply just go telling everybody, I just want to help you. I just want to fix your marriage. I just want to help you in your job. I just want to do this. I just want to do... Does he do these things? Yes, and amen. But see, the, the, the problem with prosperity preaching isn't necessarily that what's being told is a lie. It's just misleading. See, if you just tell people... Jesus just wants to help you and fix you, and, and, and man, he's all, all these things. You know, then, then who do you get? You get coming in these doors, just people, or you coming into your life, or coming into the church family, just people that, I just want help. Jesus said, here's the way. You need to repent of your life. We're not looking for people who just want it better, who just want more, who just want God to serve their idols. Jesus wants people to repent. And see, if we go out preaching and proclaiming the name of God, soft-pedaling Jesus, that doesn't take any boldness. It doesn't take any power. No one's going to be offended if you say, Jesus wants to help you. Someone may go, you're weird. But if you tell people Jesus is authority, and he has authority over your life, he has authority over death, And he's calling you to repent of your sin. This is the message that Jesus told his disciples to go out and make. You go tell them the rule and reign of God is here. This is why it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it asks for boldness. This is why it doesn't go well. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out like lambs 
into a slaughter. This is going to be ugly. Why do we think that that's them and not us? So many times we're sitting here going, even me, I sit here and go, I'm so thankful that I'm not in a foreign country where the people persecute Christians. You know what? They'll do it here too. They'll do it here. They will make fun of you. You know what they'll say to you? Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't you tell me that Jesus is the only way. You're being narrow-minded. Don't you dare tell me that you claim to know all the truth. Don't you do that to me. You will be persecuted here. You may lose your job. You may lose family members. But Jesus calls you to tell the truth, not soft pedal it. He never did. He had people that came to him and said, God, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And he said, the son of man's got nowhere to lay his head, just so you know. This isn't about some kind of a show. This isn't about some kind of fun. This, isn't about, this is about the sincerity of who I am. I'm God, and I've come to save, and the way that I do things is a lot different than the way you do it. I come to be last. I come to die to self. In John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, some, some men were following Jesus, right? Isn't this what he wants, is us to follow him? He calls them on it because he knew their heart. You know what he says to them? You're just following me because your bellies are filled. You're not following me because of the of the signs and wonders that you just saw. You're not following me because you believe I have authority over everything. I can multiply those lows. You're not following. You don't even know what happened. You're just following me because you've got filled up. You just want more of what you want. You're not here to repent and believe in a different and new authority over you. Jesus wasn't mean. He just didn't want to confuse people. You guys, and we don't want to either. We want to say what the Bible says. And when I look at Acts 19, and Paul's going out, and I look at all the Bible here, and I look at how these people are being beat up and persecuted and killed because of the way they teach the Bible, because of the way that they proclaim the Scriptures, because of who they say Jesus is, and then Jesus tells me, if you do this, you will all be persecuted. I just want to look at that and say, I believe that. If this isn't happening to me, maybe I'm doing something wrong in my proclaiming of God. Because here we see that Paul spoke boldly and he reasoned and persuaded them about the kingdom of God. And then what happens in verse 9? But some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. This is what happens. It's not just back then. It's not just in other foreign countries. When you proclaim who Jesus is, who he says he is, what he says he does, and who he's about, it will come your way too. And this is one of the biggest things that I'm learning right now, honestly, in teaching through the book of Acts. I'm a soft peddler of the gospel a lot of times. I try to talk people in to see what the goodness of God is. But as Artaxerxes has said it, said it well, whatever you hook people with in the church is what you'll keep them with. So if you hook them with the fact that Jesus is all about you, the only way you're going to keep people is to continue to say that and preach that. If you tell people that God just wants to fix you and God just wants to help you, and you bring them in and you sit them here and say, now you must die to yourself. How's that going to go? It's not. 
It's bait and switch. Wrapping up here, verse 10 tells us this. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Everybody. I know we mentioned this last time. It's worth mentioning again. Everybody heard. All of them. Everybody. Not because we have a bunch of heroes that we need to look up to in the faith, but because the plan of God includes fouled up, screwed up, sin-filled man to go out and preach the gospel. And the way that you do it is you're filled with a power that is not your own. You say things and you do things you normally would not do. God's plan works. God's plan is working. And God's plan will work. He says it'll work. This is the crazy part about the Bible and about God. This is why it takes the spirit to understand this. It takes the spirit to even want to do something like this. So we're saying we're an incomplete Christian without being filled with the proclamation, without being filled with the Holy Spirit for the proclamation of God, and then it's going to go bad? Yeah, it might. Probably will. You see why you need the Holy Spirit? You will never do this on your own. How many people just raise their hand and say, I want that to be me. I want to be beat up and killed and destroyed for the sake of the gospel. You guys, these people didn't do that either. They didn't even have a desire. Remember Peter? When Jesus announced that they were going to come and and, and take him away and the Son of Man was going to be killed, he said, never, not on my watch. Won't happen. I will not let you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. See, man's wisdom doesn't go far. It's opposite of God's wisdom. Completely opposite. We say, we need to save this life. God says, no, you need to lose this life. You need to lose this life actually in order to save your life. This isn't about you keeping something. This is about you getting something new. And in order to get something new, you must be willing to get rid of the old. You must be willing to die to self. Well, once they got it and he got scolded that he was Satan that we're not supposed to have a desire to, be, to have this life saved, well, then he kind of rolls along, the disciples roll along with God, but then they see they've got no power to do it. So first we see they don't have a desire to do it, then we see they don't have a power to do it by the way that they handle the cross. When Jesus goes to get executed, when he goes to get killed, they all run and are scared. Even though they said, I will not run from you, I'll follow you to the end, they all flee. So we see they have no power. So we see they're very normal human beings. Very normal. They're just like you and me. And you must see that or you will not hear this. They're just like you and me. Oh, yeah, but they're apostles. Oh, yeah, but they're apostles. And so they're able to do this. I know I'm flipping a ton today. Listen to John 14 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works will, than these will he do. 
This is a message to the disciples. This is the message to the apostles. They're more powerful than we are. They got Jesus. No. Right there in the beginning it says, whoever believes in me will do greater works than me. That's you and me. That's all of us. Whoever believes. This isn't a varsity plan for the apostles. Jesus knows your failures. He knows your inadequacies. He knows you don't have any strength. He knows you want to run. He knows your flesh wants to save your life. He knows all that. That's why he sent the Spirit of God to invade you to kill that life. And the crazy part about it is then you will get joy. You'll get peace. You'll be comforted. That's the crazy part about all this. That's the crazy part that man can't get. That's the crazy part that only the Holy Spirit can do to you. That as you lose your life for God, you will find that you've got a way better life. You will start to see the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will know God. You will know his plan. You will love his plan. Yes, there'll be sorrow. Jesus says to his disciples, there's going to be sorrow. And in that sorrow, I'll be with you and I'll bring you peace. It's going to be crazy. So for those of you who know Jesus and do not feel this power, who might have believed, have misunderstood that this was just about you, or maybe you've heard that this is what you're supposed to be as a believer, a a proclaimer, a disciple maker, and you just don't want to. We can repent of that too, thank God. There's always time for repentance. Today's that day. But think about maybe the reason this doesn't seem like it's working. <laughs> maybe this reason doesn't seem like it's took on me. I still feel lack of purpose in my life. Maybe it's because if you were asked the question, did you receive the spirit of God when you believed? You'd have to say no. I've just thought this is about baptism of John. I've just thought this is about me being saved. You don't even have to raise your hand to get beat up for God. God's not asking you to do that. He's just asking you to lose your life, to wake up each morning and say, this isn't going to be about me today. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. I wake up every morning and I die to me. I've got to do it again every single morning. God's just asking you to die to yourself. Who knows what the plan of God's going to be in and through you. Some people have sent armies to flight, as it says in Hebrews 11, and some have been sawn in two. It's the plan of God. Don't know how it's going to go. Don't know who's going to do what. But here's what I do know. The Bible calls you to be filled with the Spirit of God, to walk in obedience with God, to proclaim the great news of the message of the cross, the great news of Jesus Christ. How many people have ever heard of Hitler? Raise your hand. Michael Jordan. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, on and on and on. You guys, these are world-famous people. And the list is large, right? They're world famous because of what they've done. 
You, you guys realize that Jesus Christ is not world famous. <laughs> Isn't that staggering? God's not world famous. The work that Jesus Christ did on this earth, he's not world famous still. Look at the works that he did. Let's be a part of making Jesus Christ world famous. Let's pray. Worship team, are you, here? Are you still here or did you go home? <laughs> That's all right. We've got communion up here. Um, Kendra, do you just want to come and play, you know, just play, play something so, and, and people can come and take communion on your own? Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to finish praying here. And, and uh, it's kind of weird, awkward ending. I don't, I don't do it often, so I apologize about that. So uh, just come up and, and, and take communion on your own. Uh, go back and pray with your family. And, and communion is about thanking Jesus for what he did on the cross. Thank him. This isn't about don't think about him. We've got to think about the Holy Spirit now. No. The more you think about Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, the more that you love him, the more that you see what he did, the more you see how great he is, the more that you see his grace towards you, it's going to push you towards wanting to talk about him. So we love Jesus and we love what he's done. And he's not over. He's at the right hand of the Father, still making intercession. He's still with us. He's still a part of the plan. He's just brought some power with him. So I'll pray, um, and Kendra's going to play and then uh, just come up and, and take communion um, on your own. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. God, I just feel like just had a lot of scattered thoughts, and um, but I know that you can make sense of your word to us, Lord. And so I just pray that, God, I just pray that you spoke to us. I know you spoke to me and just uh, revealed error in my thinking, revealed sin in my heart. God, you revealed to me why, why, God, the Spirit, why the Spirit is so necessary. And unfortunately, God, we're able to live here and be believers in God and completely squelch the spirit and never even know the power of the spirit in our lives. And we, we may live like that and make that all the way to heaven. I don't know. But God, it's not the plan. Just being saved. And God, and we see that. And we see that we, we see the, the, how dangerous your plan is. And we see that it goes bad. And God, it's just a hard message to preach. It's a hard message to think about. God, ultimately, you said the hard things because you wanted people that wanted in, that you wanted people that wanted you, you wanted people that really wanted to repent, that really want a different life, that really want the true Jesus. And you understand that, that the true Jesus fills us up with the Spirit of God, and then we are crazy and reckless, and suffering does come our way. God, we can't talk ourselves into that. We don't even want that. So, God, we see today the need for the Holy Spirit to invade us. God, I want to be hit with the Holy Spirit. I want to be hit with your power. I want to know you. I want to know your power. I do not want to be afraid. I do not want to shrink back, Lord. God, fill us with your Spirit. 
Fill us with your spirit. Help us to understand, bring clarity of who you are and what you are about. And God, as we take communion, just thank you again, Jesus, for what you've done to make all this possible, this reunion with God the Father. Salvation is ours. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.